If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to start today. Um, while you're turning there, would you just bow your head and let's, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we come into your presence and we just thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. And I just pray, God, that you would bless this time, bless this moment. As we, as we break open your word, I pray, God, that it would, it would come to life, not just in front of us, but in us, Lord God. That you would speak to us in a way that uh, goes past, past just our intellect and past just our emotions. That you would speak to the spirit man deep within, that you would change us, that you would challenge us. God, help us to take another step today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, as I said, that's where we're going to start today. And a few weeks ago, we started a series on our core values here at Restoration Life Church. We're calling it Family Values because we are a family and, and uh, we, we've been talking about what we believe has called us as a church to uniquely be in our community who has he called us to be? What matters to us as a church? And it, it, it's these values that determine what we will do and what we won't do. It's these values that determine where we will invest our time and our energy and our, our attention, our prayer, our money, all of these things. And as we started it off, in week one, we, we talked about prayer. We value fervent and honest prayer that unleashes the supernatural power of an all-powerful all God. And, and if we're going to be, a, be followers of Jesus, there's no question that prayer is going to be a huge, huge part of our lives. You cannot read the story of Jesus in the Gospels without noticing that he himself spent massive amounts of time in prayer. And if the Son of God walking in the face of this earth needed time in prayer, then who am I to say I don't? And so we talked about prayer and, and the importance of it and uh, the reality that, that everything that really matters in life is out of our control as human beings. And we talked about why we struggle with any real consistency to pray. And then we talked about praying uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, and what that means. And then the next week we talked about truth. We value speaking the truth of the gospel filled with the grace and the mercy we found in Jesus and living that truth out in our lives missionally. And so we learned that week that, that uh, truth is not merely just a set of rules and regulations. It's not uh, some statement of, of theological truth, but we learned that truth is a person because Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we talked about truth, and you can see all of these messages on our website at restorationlifechurch.tv. And then last week, we talked about valuing people. We value people more than tradition, facilities, or programs because that's what matters most to God. And we, we talked about the reality that we were designed by God, that He knit you together in your mother's womb, and that we are saved by His grace. But then, on top of that, we are placed in a specific place, during a specific time, in front of an audience in order to help other people find Jesus. And today we're going to be take, taking some time to, to chat about spiritual growth. And here's our value statement about spiritual growth. We value the spiritual growth that comes when God's people learn to build authentic relationships where we no longer hide behind our masks. Now you know why we showed the video about masks. Because it's all about our spiritual growth. And honestly, I'm going to here to tell you right now, 
that this one, this particular value, this issue that we're talking about, this may be the most difficult piece of the puzzle of all of the values that we talk about. Uh, th this is probably going to be the one for which we will have to fight the hardest individually and as a, as a community. So let's go to Ephesians 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, we're going to come back and, and finish up that test, but text, but here's what I want to chat with you about. The scriptures say uh, throughout all the New Testament that once a heart is awakened to the reality of Jesus Christ, that something begins that theologians have historically called progressive sanctification. Now, that's just some big words. Let me explain to you what that means. From the moment that Christ awakens our heart, because, you know, when we get saved, it's not something we did, it's something He did. I mean, everybody understand that, that He awakened your, heart, awakened your heart, He is the one who saved you. So from the moment Christ awakens our heart to Him, we progress in our relationship with Him. We will grow in knowledge of Him, in our passion for Him, in our relationship with Him, and in our holiness, all of these things. We will progressively grow into the fullness of Christ. We will progressively grow in, into His image, into becoming like Him. And that's what he just said here, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him. So in every way possible, there should be spiritual growth. When it comes to our intellect, there should, our, our, to our understanding of doctrine, there should be growth. Uh, when, when it comes to our emotions, there should be growth. When it comes to our zeal, there should be growth. Isn't that interesting? Because for most of us, we start out serving the Lord with great zeal, and instead of our zeal growing, it sort of diminishes. But there should be growth. And, and when it comes to our worship, there should be growth. The, the gospel penetrating our heart is not static, but we begin to grow individually into the fullness of Christ until we become what the scriptures would call a mature man or a mature woman, a Christ-filled, God-honoring, Holy Spirit-empowered, worshiping man or a woman. And so we're, when we get saved, we're all on that track. Now, sometimes we don't move forward on that track, but we're all on that track because we all have uh, 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 but, but even though we get us on that track, Christ saves us. He puts us on the track. It can be really, really confusing for us sometimes because we all have those really, really dry times where God feels distant from us, right? Where we can't find him anywhere. We feel like we're praying. Ever been in that, been in that place where you feel like you're praying and it seems like the prayers hit the ceiling and bounce down in front of you and, and we, we just feel the weight of sin or whatever it is that's crushing us and we just feel like we can't get out of that or we can't get through it. We've all had those kind of moments, those times. Almost all of us have had that time, that month that year, that, that season of time where God has just felt very far from us. And listen, if it happened to men in the Bible, it's going to happen to you. David says in one of the Psalms, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forsake me? But you know what? Nobody is looking at David's life and going, man, that guy, God's just for, forsaken that guy. Nobody's thinking that, but that's what he felt like. Some, some of you know this because uh, you, you, you have enough life under your belt and some of you are just going to have to trust the scripture in this. But 
for, for those of you who have lived through some extremely dark periods of time and you've come out on the other side, looking back years later, you see the grace, the mercy, and the presence of Christ even more profoundly in those days than in common days. And sometimes, here's a really tough one, sometimes God himself is the author of the desert. Like, I'll give you an example. He comes to Hosea, the prophet, and he says to him, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. How many of you would think, might question God if he came in and said that to you? Well, Hosea is like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a prophet. Are, are you sure about that, God? And God says, yeah, I want you to marry her. Her name is Gomer, which is already a strike against her because we know, you know, every, who, who thinks of Gomer Pyle when you think, when you read Hosea? Okay, he says, her name is Gomer. I want you to marry her. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you, make your heart love her deeply. I'm going to give, make your affection and your mind and your heart be captivated by her. And I'm just not going to let you free from that. And she's not going to be faithful to you at all. But, but even though she's not going to be faithful to you, I'm not going to let you stop loving her. And then, and then in what I think is one of the most profound texts in Scripture, this is what he says. He says, I will lead you into the desert. And there in the desert, you will quit calling me master and you will start calling me husband. Who is the author of the desert here? Right? Or do I need to bring up Joseph? Remember his story? I mean, the things he went through. What about John the Baptist? John the Baptist was beheaded. And the Bible says of him, among those born of women, there has, a, there has arisen no one greater. Yeah, sometimes God's the author of it. Sometimes God takes us into those places because there's something he's trying to accomplish in our lives. And, that, and the truth of that should warm us, not, not make us angry or not bother us, because it means that if he's the author of it, that means he's not leaving me out there alone. And in the midst of it, he is perfecting, he is growing, he is strengthening, and he is deepening my worship. Sometimes he's using that to sandblast some parts away from me that need to be, need to be removed. But he, he loves us too much not to hurt us sometimes. And every person who's a parent knows exactly what I mean, right? How many of you ever look at a child and, uh, and the, the, the parent is there and the child is just running crazy, doing whatever they want, and the parent refuses to discipline the child? How many of you walk away thinking, man, that, that parent sure loves that child? No, you actually think the opposite, don't you? You think, wow, does, does she, he or she not care what kind of person that child is going to be? No, you love your children, and because you love them, sometimes you discipline them, and that discipline is not pleasant, and at times it is painful. Can I get an amen? Anybody here been disciplined in your life and it was painful? Let me see your hand. Some of you are like, I can't raise it. My dad broke it. No, I'm kidding. That's, that'd, be in, that'd be an improper form of discipline, breaking arms, okay? So... But, but we all have these dry times. However, the Bible views it as abnormal for our faith to grow stagnant and cold. So you're going to have dry times, but the Bible says, yeah, you'll have those, but your faith should not grow stagnant and cold. Something's gone wrong in your life if you're not progressively 
growing. If we grow stagnant, if we grow cold, if, we, if we're not progressing in our heart, if we're not progressing in worship, if we're not progressing in our minds toward the fullness of Christ, then something has gone wrong inside of us. So, so go to Hebrews 5, and I want you to see the, the weight of this and why we have to address this, why this is so important. Starting in verse 11, Hebrews 5. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. All right, so he says here, in regards to Jesus being the high priest, this is the context of what he's saying. He's saying, there is more of Christ that I would love to talk with you about. There is more joy to be had. There is a deeper experience in Christ to be walked in. There is more power for you to experience. There's more love, more hope, more joy, more beauty. There's more of it to know, but I can't share it with you. Now, now look at why he can't share it with him. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now that doesn't mean standing up on a stage with a microphone. That just simply means being able to tell somebody else about the gospel. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And for those of you who have raised children, nothing is more unskilled than a baby that's still on a bottle. Right? A three-month-old, no skills. Unless you want to count, you know, struggling to sleep and pooping a skill, then, then they're very skilled in those areas. But, but, but no one has a, a, a four or five or six or seven-year-old child whose primary means of nutrition is still milk. And if you do then it probably means you're going to the doctor a lot because something's not right. Isn't that right? If you have a seven-year-old that still can't eat solid food, you're looking at that seven-year-old and you're saying, man, we got to get some medical help because something is not right here. And what he's saying in this passage, he's saying spiritually, you're grown men still on milk and it doesn't make any sense. There's no way you can be what you were meant to be in regards to muscle, in regards to strength, in regards to mind, in regards to heart, in regards to emotion, because your primary means of nutrients isn't what it should be. You're, you should be on meat, but you're on milk and then look at how they become unskilled because of this. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now here's the question I want to answer. How can we be sure that we are growing up into the fullness of Him, of Christ, in every way? How can we be sure? What are the necessary pieces for us to grow into this joy, to grow into this depth of meaning, to grow into this purpose, to grow into this worship of Christ? Well, let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. This is what it says. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He's saying that's all, that's all elementary stuff. And right before Hebrews 6, 1, 
He talks about constant practice. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore, since we're immature, let us leave the elementary and press on to maturity. Let's walk away from what's elementary and let's grow. And I think there's a reference here. It's really one of personal discipline. How do you get out of elementary school? For some people, they're like, well, you just act up enough to where they say, I'm not going to keep him around anymore. But, but no, you, you, you have to know how to add, or at least is how it's, ought, it's supposed to be, right? To get out of elementary school, you have to know how to add. You have to know how to subtract. You have to know how to divide. You have to know how to multiply. You at least have to somewhat be able to spell. And until you get those things down, you're, you're not moving on, or at least that's how it has been and what it should be like. It doesn't always, sometimes kids fall through the cracks, but, but, but I mean, you're not going to middle school if you can't read. You're not going on to middle school if you can't add. You have to progress. And, and, and what he's saying here is that you and I, with personal discipline, need to make growing into Christ a priority in our lives. I love the, I love the way Romans 6 puts it. The message of Romans 6, if you read the whole chapter, the message breaks down to this. In the same way that you once chased what is sinful, now chase what is godly. In the same way you once chased what is sinful, now chase what is godly. So think back on your life before Christ, back when you were a scoundrel, right? And you were, you were I don't know about you, but for me, before I was living for Christ, when I was living in the world, when I was living in sin, I would stay up late for my sin of choice. I would rearrange my schedule for my sin of choice. I would forego sleep for my sin of choice. I wired my life in such a way as to make sure that I could pursue my sin, what I wanted to do. I wired my life in such a way as to make sure that I could pursue my passion. And this is saying, in the same way that you once chased sin, now with that same energy, with that same zeal, with those same sacrifices that you used to make, now chase what's righteous. Now that, that's profound if you let your mind think on it and chew on it and wrestle on it. it it's talking about personal discipline. And, th and this is not an unusual idea in the scriptures. Paul says, I, I beat my body to make it my slave. Now that, that's discipline, right? He sa also says in 1 Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So now here's the thing, that, that word train in 1 Timothy is the Greek word gum, gumnazo. Everybody say gumnazo. I just wanted to hear you say it. I don't know why I want you, I just wanted to hear it. We, we get our name, our word gymnasium from that word and it literally, the word literally means to exercise vig vigorously. It means to sweat. Which tells me, when he says, train yourself for godliness, that tells me then, godliness is not an accident. Do you hear me? He says, train yourself for godliness. He says, sweat your way to godliness. He says, vigorously exercise your way to, to godliness 
because godliness is not an accident. You, you train yourself for godliness through constant practice. And, and here's the truth. Unless you're a type A personality, training is difficult. You know, so many of us, we spend so much time on our, on our bodies. You know, we watch what we eat and we spend money on the gym and we spend a lot of time on those kind of things. Others of us, as you're looking at me, you're like, you, you don't do those things, Pastor David. And you're right, I don't. Uh, but, 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 here's, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, physical training is of some value. There's nothing wrong with it. That's good. It's good to be healthy. But training in godliness has value both in this life and in the life to come. Physical training, here's the truth. I'm here to tell you this. As later this year, I'm going to turn 60 years old. And I know that's shocking. Some of you are like, oh, you don't look a day. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But uh, physic, here's the truth. Physical training will eventually betray you. Physical, physical training will eventually betray you. What I mean by that is, eventually, you're going to grow too old to be able to do it. Even the guy that's 80 years old and still in the gym working out, there is a day coming when he's not going to be able to do that. I don't care how vigorous you are and how hard you work, the day is coming when you won't be able to do the physical workout. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody, somebody really agreed with that one. I heard that. But, uh, but, he, but the truth is, training in godliness will never betray you. It is something that you'll be able to, to do and it has value and benefit not only in this life, but it's going to carry over into the next life. So, all right, so you have personal discipline and, and, and the personal discipline includes those historic disciplines of the faith, you know, things like reading the word, praying, clinging to righteousness, shunning unrighteousness and those kind of things. Those are the things that you, through constant practice, you train yourself to godliness. But, uh, but, and that's a piece of the answer. It's not the whole answer, but that's a piece of the answer to how we can be sure that we're growing up into the fullness of him in every way. But it's not the only piece. Growing in godliness is not just about personal discipline. In fact, th this is one of the most difficult texts in the Bible. It's, it's a little small verse following verse 1. That it has so much in it. But look at verse 1, Hebrews 6, 1 again. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now skip down to verse 3. He says, and this we will do if God permits. As if maybe he won't. Now he's not doubting whether or not God will or not. What he's really doing, he's recognizing our dependency on God's power to help us grow. He's saying, yes, we're going to train ourselves. We're going to work hard. We're going to have personal discipline. We're going to make sure we get in the word. We're going to make sure we have time to pray. We're going to do all those things. But all of those things, he says, need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need God's power working in us. We are dependent on his power to help us grow. Personal discipline in and of itself will not be enough to ensure our spiritual growth. 
And anyone who's followed Christ for any length of time, if they were honest, they would tell you that they've had seasons of their life where they were doing everything they were supposed to be doing, but life was still dry and life was still difficult. You can check everything off, off of the list. You know, read your Bible every morning, pray every morning, uh, pray before meals. Don't watch R-rated movies unless they happen to be about Jesus. And don't drink the devil juice and don't listen to secular music. You can do all uh, and you can uh, all of those things that are right and good or whatever that's on your list. But that does not necessarily mean that you have a deep, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, some of the coldest, emptiest, angriest people I've ever met are people who have mastered the list but have no relationship with Jesus. People who know how to act and try to hold other people accountable about how they act, but they don't actually walk with Jesus. We need the power of God working in our personal discipline in order to grow. That's what he's saying. If God permits, we will do so. Doing all the things on your checklist does not obligate God to do what you want him to do. You are in no position to barter with God. People do try it all the time, don't they? Maybe you've done it a time or two in your life where you say, God, if you, if you do this, I'll do this for you. You're, you're in no position to barter with God. And realizing that you don't get to barter with God puts you in a desperate, desperate, desperate place. And it's in that place that worship and transformation begin to happen. Now, it seems to me as I've walked with people over the years that what people, what we tend to do, people want to pick one or the other of these. Some people want to do the personal discipline, discipline thing all alone. And they have that personal discipline thing down. They have the list and they're, they're working it. They're doing it. And by the way, you would better be doing their list too or you're going to be on their bad list and you're going to be facing their judgment because that's the Bible. That's their list, you know. And so they've wired their whole life that way and their alarm is set so they can get up early and spend a certain time with the Lord. And I mean, they have the list down and there's nothing wrong with making sure that you get all these things done. But then there's the other end the spectrum and there, there are some people who want the power of God to just do it all for them see you can't have one or the other some people say oh, I'm just going to muscle my way in I'm going to have the personal discipline I'm going to do all the right things but they leave the power of God out of that whole situation and then other people say God I want you to grow me up do it for me do it for me and they go to church on weekends and the Lord will stir their souls and they'll say and, and he'll say to them hey this is an issue that we need to deal with and they agree with the voice of the Holy Spirit that there's something wrong but then they never do anything to change it they just wait for God to do it miraculously. The problem is, when you pick either one of those in isolation from the other, what you're really doing is you're just simply picking the way you're going to sin. Because on one hand, just keeping the list without the power of God, that's going to lead to a kind of pharisaical, arrogant, boastful, and proud attitude. And we've all seen that happen. On the other hand, just saying, God, do it for me, will lead to, it will be hollow and unsustainable. You have to have both pieces. You really do. We need the power of God. We're desperate for it. 
and we need personal discipline. We need to move towards it ourselves and we desperately need to ask God for help in it. Now, with that said, there's a third piece. And this is the one that we're focusing on the rest of our time today. Here's the third piece. When the Bible speaks of this progressive sanctification, this process of growing into the image of Christ, this growth into Him, it never speaks of it as an individual process. But rather, it's a process that takes place within the context of deep relationships. This is where many of us fail. Because a lot of us, we've gotten to the place where we tried the list and we realized that didn't work. And so we, got the, we turned to God and we got some help and the power of the Lord is helping us grow. And so we got the personal discipline and we got the presence and the power of God working in our lives. But we try to do it and go it alone. When, when it comes to the sanctif sanctification and growth into the fullness of Christ, Nowhere in Scripture are we spoken to as individuals removed from the community of faith. It's just not there anywhere in the Bible. Almost every book in the New Testament is addressed to the saints of some particular city. He's talking to the body. So all of the admonitions that are there are, let's go, let's do this, let's grow, let's cling to this, let's not do this, let's walk in this. They're not given to individuals as much as they're given to a group a body that's striving after those things together. And even in those books where he's addressing an individual, he's addressing that individual in order to teach the body at large. This thing is inescapable, inescapably communal. In fact, listen to this. Everything God does in the life of an individual is meant to pour back into the group. I'll show you some examples of what I mean. First, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. That's a popular idea. We love that, don't we? We're troubled, we're overwhelmed, we're grieved, and God comforts, comforts us. But now, listen to what it says to, as to why God comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God comforts us in our time of trouble, not just so that we'll be comforted, not just so that we'll feel better, but He comforts us in our time of trouble so that we can turn around and comfort other people in their times of trouble with the comfort that we receive from God. So what he did in me individually was actually meant to be poured into the group, into the people around me, into the people with whom I'm doing life and pursuing Christ and we're all growing together into his image. All right, let's keep going. Uh, I love 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, 
the, the Thessalonian believers were, I'll give you some context for this. They were, they were grieving the loss of loved ones and they were confused because they said, man, you know, we thought Christ was going to turn, was going to return. These people died and now he hasn't returned. Are they going to lose out? Are they going to miss out on this salvation? And Paul tries to explain to them that they don't have to be afraid of this. And he explains, uh, you know, how the, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and all these things. And he gives them this, this wonderful explanation of telling them, yeah, we grieve when they're gone, but we don't grieve like other people because we have this great blessed hope. And he teaches them how the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says to them, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Share these words with one another. I'm, he says, I'm not giving you these words just so you guys in Thessalonica can huddle up and go, oh, okay, this is our word. It's not everybody else says this is our thing he says no you spread it this is given to you for the body and and then there's my preaching verse first uh, thessalonians 5 14 it's what i try to do every day every week week in and week out it says this and we urge you brothers admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with them all do you hear how communal this whole thing is that it's about us together. Do you see it? It's impossible to do these things that he's talking about in these verses outside of deep relationships. Like he talks about warning people. He says, warn those that are idle. If you're warning someone who is idle, someone whose faith is growing cold, and you try to engage them, how well does that work if you don't really know them? It, it, how well does that, does that go very well in your life? Like, like the guy, you know, you're next to you, you're, you come into church and the guy next to you just opens up his Bible and it sort of creaks and moths fly out of it, you know, and, and you look at him and say, and you go, hey, uh, what's your name? Bob? Oh, okay, Bob. Bob, is that a new Bible? Oh, well, I know it's not because the edges are all curled up. So I know you've been leaving it in your car. And, and, and don't you think you need the word, Bob? How is that going to go for you if you don't know Bob? Any ideas? If Bob is like most of us, you, you might get just, just get punched in the throat. You know what I'm saying? So how well does it work? It doesn't work well at all. We need to have people who, and this is, this is a, not just about you correcting other people, but this is about you, what you need in your life. We need to have people who know us well enough to engage us at that level. Because all effective discipline and correction is done in the context of relationship. This, this is why parents who are disengaged with their children, who, you know, dads that have nothing to do with their kids, but all they do is correct them and try to discipline them, create rebellion in their children because they're trying to correct and discipline outside the context of relationship. And it's the same way in the body of Christ that if I need correction, I'm not going to receive it from you if I haven't opened up my life to you in such a way so that we have a deep enough relationship to sustain conflict when you need to talk with me about something that you see in my life, some blind spot that I may have. And by definition, I'm not going to see it, but probably everybody else is. 
And if I don't have a deep enough relationship with you, I'm not going to receive it. And if I don't have a deep enough relationship with you, if you need it, I can't talk to you about it. Do you see, do you see this? Does this make sense? Everybody's sitting there, you know, you look like, you know, calf that saw a new gate or something. Uh, <laughs> mouths opening like, uh. It happens in the context of relationship. Discipleship happens in the context of relationship. Growth into Christ and into His image happens in the context of relationship. Now, can it happen outside of that? Yes, in, in severe circumstances, I believe the Holy Spirit can intervene. If some Christian in China gets thrown into prison and put into, into a, a isolation and they don't get to see anybody else, can God help them to grow? You better believe, but that's not the norm, is it? That's the exception. Growth isn't going to happen unless we're connected and we're doing life deeply together. Now, let me, let me put it this way. Let's just say, on my best weekend up here in the pulpit, I'm just thundering away, and I mean, the, the hand of God is on me so strongly that I'm just glowing, right? I'm just glowing. And, and then Jesus manifested himself in, in flesh behind me, and he stood behind and just started pointing me, and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? And, and, and then tongues of fire are falling down, and, 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 and everything in you in response to that said, okay, I'm in. I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to get in. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to get plugged in, and I'm going to walk deeply and I'm not going to be part of a shallow, trite, fleeting pleasures anymore. I'm not going to be chasing those things. I'm going to chase real, deep, sustaining, gospel-centered pleasures. Here's my question. How long does that last? Do, do you make it home with it? Do, do, you, do you make it to Wednesday? And, and here's, I want to prove my point. If I ask some of you what your favorite part of last week's message was, what would you say? And you're, some of you now, you're like, uh, what was last week? Uh, that's my point. And I'm not offended by that. Some of you are like, oh, it was that thing about Jesus. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, okay, that thing about Jesus, you're pretty safe there. I'm, I know, you know, I know how this, you always guess Jesus first in church. That's always the first thing you do. But listen, without the power of God flowing in this, without people in your life that can hold you accountable to transformation. It's just not going to happen. That's why uh, even with our messages, our small groups, we've, we've designed it to talk about what we preached about in this service because we want you to think about how do I apply this? How do I live this out? And that's why it's so important that we do that because it's in the context of relationship that we can begin to take what we learn here and say, okay, this is what it means in my life. This is how I can do this. And it helps us to remember, and it helps us to grow. Without the power of God in flowing in your life, without people in your life that can hold you accountable, it's just not going to happen. And let me just say this about accountability. I, I use that term, and we use it, and it's a good term to say, hold you accountable. But nobody can hold you accountable. They can ask the right accountability questions, but you have to make yourself accountable by telling the truth. Right? You can't have an accountability partner that asks you the right question every time he or she sees you. But if every time they ask you the right questions, you lie about it, you have not been accountable. They've tried to hold you accountable, but you have to make yourself accountable. And the only way that happens 
is if we build a relationship that is deep enough to where I know I can trust you and you know you can trust me. You're, you're going to have to be serious about your own spiritual walk, your own self-discipline and where you're weak, and you have to have people in your life who will encourage you in those areas. And by the way, the only way they can encourage you in those areas if you're honest, is if you're honest with them about where you're weak. Then they can help you. Otherwise, otherwise it just grows stale, it grows stagnant, it grows, grows cold, it becomes mechanical, and it just becomes empty. You know, one of the most common illustrations used in the Bible to help us understand the, the, the church is that of a body. And, and if you cut your finger off, which we've had a few, few guys here that have worked with wood long enough that they decided to branch out and work in flesh and they've cut their finger off. If you cut your finger off and, and, and uh, you throw it aside, that finger does not keep growing. It, 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 it does not keep moving. It doesn't keep playing its part in the body. It shrivels up and it dies. You cannot remove yourself from relationship and building those relationships within the body of Christ. And the more you isolate yourself from deep, authentic Christian community, the more damage you do to your own joy. Think about it this way. And I don't, I don't want to depress you, but, but you want to see how isolated many of us are? Do you want to see how, how shallow many of our relationships are? Let me ask you this, man. When was the last time another man in, in your life took you for a cop, cup of coffee and just sat down and said, hey, thanks for coming in. I'm worried about you. Can I point something out that I see that I'm concerned about? I, I, you know, I've been in that group of, of men where the, there's that guy that's just constantly jabbing his wife. Oh, the old ball and chain, you know, she could burn water. You know, she burns everything. The other morning I ate half a bag of charcoal briquettes before I realized they weren't biscuits, you know, that kind of thing. Making all these jokes. She's allergic to work. She just breaks out in a rash. Well, listen, enough of those, and you begin to realize something is wrong, isn't it? Somebody has to love that man enough to pull him aside, not to confront and embarrass him in front of everybody, but pull him aside and go, you know what? The scriptures say that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Are you all right? You're, you're disrespecting the bride given to you. God says not all men get to find one. Or, or, or what, about the, what about the guy who just blew up at his three-year-old kid for spilling his drink at dinner? Something's gone wrong in there. You, you don't blow up over spilled milk. You know, it's not like your three-year-old, you know, looked at you and, and goes, forget you, father, I'm going to spill my drink. You know, that's not what happened. It's, it's, if your three-year-old did do that, I want to meet your three-year-old because that's a very unusual child there. Listen, they, they get food on the floor and they spill their drink. That's, they're three, year, three years old. That's, that's what they do. And if you explode over that, something is off, something is wrong, something has, been, has got, been derailed in your life. Somebody has got to love that man enough to take him aside and talk to him about it and say, man, why is there so much anger over this, over something that a child accidentally did? that you lose it in your control your, your anger is out of control I'm just trying to plead with you to, to open your eyes 
and to see how shallow our relationships often are, that no one's willing to engage us at that level, even though everyone in the room knows that we have blind spots, that, that we have issues, that we have that trouble. It, it's heartbreaking that no one loves you enough to go, how are you really doing in your relationship with Jesus? I mean, I mean, th this isn't some game. You know this? You're, you and I, are, we're going to die. This life is going to end. Are you tracking with me? This is not a game. Trying to impress one another, it's not, it's just not a game to play. Eternity hangs in the balance. Joy hangs in the balance. And it, it, it seems like we talk about the same lame junk as everybody else. You know, how about them hogs? Or uh, can you believe the weather we're having? And listen, those are not, not bad points of conversation. But for us as followers of Jesus, we, we have to go farther than that. And it's just not easy. This is exactly, exactly why with our small groups, they, it, it takes time because it's very rare to have a group come together and have the trust to be able to open up to one another right off the bat. But as you grow together, as you do life together, you begin to trust one another more and more deeply and you work your way to this. It, it, it's just not easy. And it's not easy, frankly, because most people don't want to get there. They, they actually prefer to hide. They want to wear their masks. They, they prefer to protect themselves. You know what I call it? I call it finitis. Finitis. You know what that is? Hey, how you doing? Fine. Fine. I'm fine. We all want to look, look a certain part despite the fact that we're not. And I'm not saying, you know, don't be, you know, I know we live in the South and everybody likes to be open about everything. It was a little shock to me when we moved from Reno, Nevada to Georgetown, South Carolina. The first time I stood in line at Walmart and the person behind me was telling me about every prescription they take and all their entire medical history. And I'm like, I don't even know you. Why are you telling me this stuff? So I'm not saying that every person you go to and every person in the church, that you, you know, when they say, hey, how are you doing today? You don't, you don't grab them and say, well, okay, let me just pour it out on you. There's a right time. There's a right place. There are right relationships to do it. Right? But what's my hope? Here's my hope. My hope is that you would just take another step. Just take another step. Here, here's what I mean by that. Some of you have been coming for a while and you, you've sat out there, you know, you like the preaching, you like the music, you like the, the, the fellowship, whatever, but, but you don't really belong. You haven't really connected. And, and maybe your next step is just to get connected. So there are lots of ways to get connected at Restoration Life Church. So maybe you just finally take the step. Maybe you, maybe you say, okay, I'm in. And you, 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 you join a connect group or you get involved in a Sunday school class or you join us on Wednesday night for our family dinner together and you get to know people there. But you find a way to get connected. And, and, or maybe, maybe you decide to say, hey, I want to open my home. I want to, I want to know, can we start a new connect group in my home? You open your home for that. But, but, but you, you do something. You take a next step. But, but here's the thing, just because you're, you get connected to a small group doesn't mean you necessarily have 
any real deep Christian community. Going to a connect group, that's the easy part. It really is. The hard part is digging in and taking the time to develop relationships that are deep enough where you can tell that group what's really going on, where you're hurting, where you're struggling, and you know they're not going to judge you. You know they're not going to throw you out of the group. You know they're not going to talk with other people about it, but you know they're going to pray with you and they're going to encourage you and they're going to help hold you accountable where you need to be held accountable. Some of you have been connected and you need to take another step. And maybe you need to open up a little bit more. Maybe you need to be a little bit more honest. Begin to, to, to let people in. Maybe, maybe you need to take another step. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to invite that man or that woman in the group that you see and you admire for their faith from afar and you, you just take them out for a cup of coffee this week and you say, hey, can you help me? Can you help me? I need some help because something is just not lining up here for me. And can you talk with me? Can you help me? I want to grow. Can you do that? Just take another step. I'm not asking you to run a marathon this week. I'm not asking you to finish the race. Just take another step. Listen, if depth and joy and beauty and fullness and healing and knowledge of Christ are all at stake, then then the power of God and personal discipline and deep community are the three pieces necessary to grow into the fullness of that. And why would we not chase that with every bit of discipline and vitality, vitality and energy that we have? Take another step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And God, I pray that you, you would stir our hearts towards you and and Lord, I want to pray for movement for those who are just sort of loosely connected to this body. And I pray, God, that they would just take a step, that they would get plugged in, that they would, they would find a place to get connected and they begin to, to say, okay, I'm going to be committed to this. And for those that, are, that, that really are connected, but they haven't really pushed in, they haven't really opened up, I pray, God, that they would just push a little more, that you would, you would help help them to open up a little more and and Holy Spirit help us on this we we can't do it most of us are afraid most of us are conditioned that our our faith is ours and that we don't need anybody else and we can do it and we can handle it and it's just simply is not true there just aren't any lone ranger Christians never has been so Lord I just pray help us that every one of us in this room, that you would speak to us. Your, your sheep know your voice and we, we know your voice. So I pray you would speak to us. And you would say, this is the next step for you. And God, that we would, we would just be obedient. We'd take that step. And Lord, where personal discipline is lacking, I pray that you would help us to, to take a step there. That we would set a time aside to, to pray, to read your word. Lord, where, where we've been relying on our own abilities and our own person, personal discipline, Lord, help us to take a step of surrendering to you and saying, Lord, I need your help. But God, help us especially today to take that step to get plugged in and to say, if we're going to grow, we're going to grow together. And I thank you for what you're doing, what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.